All right, it's good to see everybody tonight. Do you have your Bibles with you? 2 Timothy chapter 3, if you'll turn there. New Testament chapter 3. And then we're going to move into chapter 4 tonight. It's good to see you come out on this series, Standing Firm in these last days. And I hope it's a blessing. I trust that as we just look at God's exhortation and, and um, his word given to us. I know that it's going to be. If you need a Bible, just raise your hand. I know some people are coming from work, and um, we're going to look at chapter 3 of Second Timothy. Just raise your hand, and Jerry will slip you a Bible. But while you're turning there, just a couple quick announcements. I need your help today, all right? After the service, tomorrow we're going to shampoo all the carpets in the, in the building here. So, yeah, so I need to stack up chairs and um, and I think I'm going to have, if Pastor John, if you hear me, just remind Luke to tell the high schoolers, you know, strong backs, and um, <laughs> if they're going to stick around, and in the classrooms as well. It won't take long, but if you want to help with that, you know, we're going to fellowship for a little bit. It won't take long to be able to do that, but, you know, there's a lot of traffic coming through here. You know, if you come here, you come to 8 o'clock service, you might think, this is a small church. But I don't know if you realize that with the four services, we pass between seven and 800 people through this building. And uh, so a lot of people coming in, and, um, and we're excited, but that means, you know, we need to kind of maintain the facility. So uh, we want to go ahead and a lot of kids in the classrooms and stuff, and we want to shampoo those rugs and clean everything. And so that would be a blessing if you can help with that. Also, speaking of help, you know, I want to encourage you as, as the ministry grows here for you to have those opportunities to minister. And one of the great needs, the greatest need that if you ask any pastor where the, the greatest needs are, are at, um, they are with nursery and children's ministry and especially with us because we have a lot of kids and a lot of um, newborns and babies and toddlers and uh, it's continued to be that way even through the summer. And so staffing four services a week can be a real challenge. And we're very thankful for all the servants that come and, and serve. And uh, we do a rotating system, so they're not there every week. Uh, but sometimes there are those who are willing to do uh, a few times a month. And the benefit of having multiple services is you can serve one service and then you can uh, sit in on another service, particularly on Sunday morning. Uh, but Wednesday nights, as you can see, a lot of people coming out on Wednesday nights, and, and that is a great need as well. So if you could help, uh, there's that flyer that's in your bulletin about uh, volunteers, and it's not just the nursery and children's ministry. And I, I don't want to make it seem like that. You may not be called to that, but pray about it and pray for those who are involved in those ministries. And we're going to talk a little bit about the importance of ministering to the children that come here and um, those that we have opportunity to share with uh, the love of Jesus Christ. It's so critical. It's extremely important. It's a big part of uh, this ministry here at Calvary Chapel uh, to minister to your children, to come alongside of you and encourage you in that. We see it as a privilege to be able to do that. And um, they're wonderful, wonderful kids. And they need the love of Jesus Christ, especially in the day in which we're living in. And we'll get into that in just a little bit, even in the teaching tonight. So if the Lord lays it on your heart, will you uh, get a hold of one of the ministry leaders there? And that would be a tremendous blessing. And 
again, to, to be called to do that. I want the Lord to lay it on your heart uh, to even once a month. If you can be a helper, uh, that would be a tremendous blessing. And I'll tell you what, you will be blessed by ministering to those kids and uh, in the nursery as well. So uh, you can get a hold of Barbara, you can get a hold of Celeste, and they'll give you all the information on that. Also, uh, DVDs of the Israel trip or in the bookstore. want to remind you of that. And there is uh, the uh, first Fridays, right? This Friday, 6 o'clock, uh, the Young Married Fellowship, and you're going to be barbecuing on the back deck. So um, sign up for that if you hadn't. And also church picnic a week from this Saturday and uh, so 5 to 7 o'clock out at the Banowitz gathering place address is there in your bulletin take a look at that and uh, we're looking forward to that to being kind of together as a church and having a meal together we'll provide the meat uh, dinnerware um, um, the uh, drinks and if you want to bring a dish to share and 5 to 7 o'clock out there and there's a little sign up there, you know, if you remember, just kind of put your family name and how many are coming. It helps us in planning and how much um, meat to get and prepared and all that good stuff. So it just kind of helps us out in that. Also, on the 18th Friday, if, and if any of you guys can help in setting up tables or chairs or anything, talk to Pastor John, and he'll give you more information on that. But that would be a blessing as well. So a lot of ministry opportunities, you know. S- um, in, in those areas. Also in that flyer, it talks about uh, the bookstore in other areas of ministry. I can't find it, but take a look at it, and uh, we would be blessed by having you be a part um, of those who serve here at Calvary Chapel. All right? So everything else, take a look at, uh, at your bulletin. Uh, we want to pray tonight. Kids are going back to school, and uh, I think some of them have already started, so we want to pray for them. We want to pray for our nation as we see that um, this, this whole uh, threat with North Korea is uh, becoming uh, more serious. And I just want to remind us to be praying for our leaders, and we need to be praying for our nation, where it's going to uh, end up and what's going to happen. We don't know for sure, but it is very serious as we see that the threats are escalating. And, um, you know... Um, you know, people are asking, where's North Korea in Bible prophecy? They're emailing me. North Korea is not mentioned in Bible prophecy, but they are um, uh, allying with those who are mentioned in Bible prophecy, and that is Syria and with Iran. And so, um, you know, when we go into the Olivet Discourse here in just a couple Sundays, this Sunday what we're going to see is that Jesus is going to give his final address to the religious leaders. He's given his final dress to the nation, and then he's going to withdraw. And he will go up to the Mount of Olives, and they, the disciples will come and say, what is the sign of the end, and what is the sign of your coming, and when are these things going to happen to where not one stone's going to be left upon another? And Jesus is going to give this private briefing, if you would, to his disciples that come to him in what is called the Olivet Discourse. And as you look at Matthew chapter 24, as you look at Mark chapter 13, and then also as you look at uh, Luke chapter 21, it's the second uh, longest teaching that Jesus gave next to the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount is a little bit longer, but we get the privilege to listen in on that teaching. And one of the things that Jesus says that one of the signs of the last days is the perplexity of nations. 
And what that means is that nations are going to be facing problems that they don't have the answers to. And that's what we're seeing more and more today. And, and so where this is going to lead, we don't know. But we need to be praying for our leaders. We need to be praying for our nation. And remember this, guys, that it was David that wrote, Some trust in horses and chariots, but we will call on the name of the Lord. And as a nation, we just cannot trust in our horses and chariots. I understand we're a very powerful nation. But we need to be a nation that's calling on the name of the Lord. So, Father, we thank you that we're here tonight, and we look forward to this study. And as we get into it, I pray that we would be attentive and you would speak to our hearts because I believe we are in the last days. And we see the, the events coming together. We're rushing towards uh, your coming. And, and, Lord, we want to be prepared. We want to be equipped. So, Father, I do pray for the kids that are going, be going back to school. Some of them have already started. That, Lord, that you would make them strong. And, and, Lord, that you would help all the parents and grandparents here uh, in us to come alongside to, to help them get grounded in the word, to, to encourage them to walk with the Lord and stand fast in their faith. Because we know that there is a culture and a society out there that comes against all of us and, and them. And they're facing things that I never faced when I was in school. And Lord, I do pray that um, you would just help them with their schoolwork and their activities. But more than anything, that they would be a light. And Lord, that you would protect them, keep them strong. And Father, we pray for our nation. We pray for our leaders. We pray for our president that sound and wise decisions would be made. And Lord, we don't want to be a nation that just trusts in our horses and chariots, but a nation that needs to turn back to you. And Father, that there is the perplexity of nations, as Jesus said, would happen in the last days. And we understand that this world is not where it's at. But we belong to another kingdom, the kingdom of God. And we love our nation. And we appreciate the freedoms that we have. And so we do pray that there would be a turning back to you and a recognition of our need for you. Father, I do pray that right now that you touch every heart that is in this room. And, and Lord, I thank you for those who are ministering to the kids. And as the ministry continues to grow here at Calvary Chapel, more children and so many, you know, uh, babies and toddlers and, and young ones and youth, we thank you for the privilege to be able to, to share with them the love of Jesus Christ and the truth of God's word. And I pray that you'd meet our needs. And, Lord, we have the privilege to be able to minister to them in such a powerful way, investing in eternity. And so, Lord, we just ask that tonight we help us to, Lord, be attentive right now because I know people are tired. Bless this study. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. You should be at 2 Timothy chapter 3. And we do read, as Paul, inspired by the Spirit of God, writes this. But know this. That in the last days perilous times will come. For men will be lovers of themselves and lovers of money. Boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy. Unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control. Brutal, despisers of good. Traitors, headstrong, haughty. Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. In verse 5, having a form of godliness but denying its power and from such people turn away. For of this sort are those who creep into households 
and make captives of gullible women loaded down with sins, led away by various lusts, always learning, never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Now as Janus and Jambres resisted Moses, so do, do these also resist the truth. They're men of corrupt minds and disapproved concerning the faith, but they will progress no further, for their folly will be manifest to all, as theirs also was. And then in verse 10, But you have carefully followed my doctrine, manner of life and purpose and faith and long-suffering, love and perseverance, persecutions, afflictions, which happened to me at Antioch and Iconium and Lystra, what persecutions I endured, and out of them all the Lord delivered me. And yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution, but evil men and impostors will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. But you must, verse 14, you must, Timothy, continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. In all scriptures given by inspiration of God, and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. And in chapter 4, I charge you, therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince and rebuke and exhort with all longsuffering and teaching. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But according to their own desires, because they have itchy ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers. And they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. As Paul is sitting in a Roman cell, this is Paul's second imprisonment. You see, in his first imprisonment, when Paul wrote those prison epistles, he's under house arrest. He's waiting to go on trial before Caesar Nero, and he eventually would. He would write the prison epistles of Philippians and Colossians, Ephesians, and Philemon. And he would stand before Caesar Nero, and, and we don't have that record of what was said, but Rome would keep that record, and Paul would be released at that time. It is believed that Paul then would travel some more, possibly even into Spain, and then when Caesar Nero began to persecute the Christians, he would give the orders to have Paul rearrested. Paul has been brought back to Rome in the second imprisonment. He is in a terrible place. He is in a dungeon, and it's not a good situation for him. And these are the last words of Paul the Apostle that we have recorded in the New Testament. He knows that his departure is at hand. Matter of fact, chapter 4 says that my departure is at hand, Timothy, and I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, and I have kept the faith. And he knows that he's going to be beheaded, which he would as the orders came out, from Nero to have Paul be put to death. And Paul here is writing these words that are very important to him, just like if any of us, if we are saying our last words to those that we love and care for, then they are important words. And that's why this Sunday, as we look at Jesus, he gives his last address to those religious leaders. He gives a last warning to the people, and then he's going to withdraw himself 
for the evening, for the day. And that ends his ministry, his public ministry, and his ministry to the nation and a call to repentance. What we are going to look at on Sunday is very important, what Jesus is saying and how he's trying one last time to get the people to see who he is. Well, Paul the Apostle, he is given these words to Timothy that are heavy on his heart. And Paul would call Timothy his beloved son in the faith. And they had a very special bond between them that only can be found in the Lord. Paul has written to Timothy, never be ashamed of the gospel, but share with me in the sufferings of the gospel. Make sure that you hold fast the pattern of sound words which you have heard from me in faith and in love which are in Christ Jesus. He uses words, Paul, throughout the New Testament of holding fast. He told the Corinthian believers at the end of his first letter to them to stand fast in the faith. He says, hold firm, because we know that today that there is an undertow that is happening in our society and all around it is, that is trying to pull us out and suck us under, taking us away from the Lord in the Word of God. And so here is Paul, he's saying, you need to stand fast to the pattern of sound words which you've heard from me in faith and love, which are in Christ Jesus. My son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus, and you be diligent. You be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed. So Paul just exhorting Timothy over and over again concerning his life and his work in the Lord. This is how you conduct yourself. This is what you are to be about. And then chapter 3. And you need to know this, Timothy. Understand and comprehend this. The, the meaning there is that you must continue to do this every single day. That in the last days, it will be perilous times. Not that it might be perilous times or it's a possibility or I hope it doesn't happen. That here is Paul writing saying that it's going to be perilous times. And what is interesting that this word perilous is used one other time in the New Testament and that is in Matthew chapter 8. And you might recall that we looked at that story of how Jesus, when he's in the boat with his disciples and a storm came up and they were very afraid and Jesus got up and he rebuked the winds and the waves and all of a sudden it was still and they went to the other side of the Sea of Galilee in the area of the Gadarenes. And Matthew, who was an eyewitness in that boat, he would write how there was two demoniacs that came down the hill there uh, from that area of the Gadarenes. They were demon-possessed. They were very violent. They had chains and shackles on them that they had broken. They were ones that were cutting themselves. They lived in the tombs, and they would scream continually day and night. It tells us that no one dare pass by them in that area. And Matthew says that they were exceedingly fierce. That's our word here, perilous. So Paul is interesting using that word that he's saying it's going to be very difficult, stressful times, but it's going to be very fierce times is what it's going to be. It's going to be demonically driven. It's going to be very violent is what's going to happen. Now, this term, last days, that he uses is a broad term that includes the time from the time of Christ to the return of Christ because Hebrews chapter 1 declares, 
God who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets has in these last days spoken to us by his son. But I believe that this term is especially appropriate as we get closer to the return of the Lord. And as we read in verses 2 through 5 of the chapter, you read 19 characteristics that describe the human condition, that what it's going to be in the last days. And as you read them, I think that you will see that this does indeed describe very clearly of what our world is becoming and what our culture is becoming more like. He says that people, that man, not just a man, but mankind is going to be lovers of themselves. We are told in society that we are to love ourselves. We speak of being self-centered, that we need to be the center of life. He says that men will be lovers of money. He's already told Timothy that the root of all evil, evil is the love of money. Not money itself, but the love of money. It speaks of greed, and it is the priority of their lives, desiring to get more, making more, wanting more. And boasters, he goes down the list, proud and blasphemers, which speaks again of being self-centered and abusive towards others. Others that really don't matter. Only I matter. He says those who are going to be disobedient to parents. And it speaks of children out of control being disrespectful to parents, undermining their authority. And our culture more and more does that, and Hollywood really promotes that. Hollywood promotes, don't listen to mom and dad. They're stupid. Don't be under their authority. Do your own thing. Paul said that's what's going to characterize the last days. They will be unthankful. Men will be unholy, unloving, unforgiving. Speaks of no appreciation. Nothing is sacred. Contempt towards others. And bitter towards others. Slanderers. Speaking of being malicious towards others. And in our nation, we love to slander people. We love to hear the latest news and, uh, on somebody. And we love to talk about it. And there's all kinds of talk shows and, and voices out there. We love to slander people. And that's a mark very much of, of our society. He says they're going to be without self-control. Their passions are out of control. Their conduct and their behavior, there's no control. We know the fruit of the Spirit is self-control. That man is going to be brutal. We see how cruel and brutal man can be. Despisers of good, how true that is today. Calling evil good and good evil. And the list goes on to say that men will be traitors and headstrong and haughty and lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. And then he says in verse 5, having a form of godliness but denying its power. And so here as we see that he goes down this list saying in the last days this is what it's going to be like. Now these things have always marked the lives of ungodly people, but what we're told it is going to be more prevalent in the last days. And we look around and we see those characteristics that are growing in our nation, in our society, in our culture, and it affects all of us as Christians, doesn't it? It affects you, it affects our kids growing up in, in this kind of world, and how is it that we can stand firm in these things of the Lord in the days in which we're living in is so important for us to look to the Lord. 
And so for the next four weeks, we're going to look on how we can stand firm in these last days. And today we're going to talk about standing firm in the Word of God. And then next week, in godly decisions. And then week number three, as a godly family, because the family is under attack. And then week number four, as a godly church. And I just want to really share my heart in a lot of ways, along with the scriptures concerning this subject. Because over the years as a Christian and as a pastor, I see that undertow that has taken more people away from the Lord and the truth of God's word. More into a self-focused mentality. More of a focus on the world and on me. And all of us, we can feel those pulls and temptations, and we get desensitized to these kinds of things, and, and we can get pulled into sin and compromise and begin to justify it because that's what culture is saying. That's what all my friends are saying. That's what my relatives are saying. It's okay. So he gives these characteristics, and then in verse 5, he says something interesting. Paul says, here's these 19 characteristics, but having a form of godliness, but denying its power, and from such people turn away. He's saying, you need to constantly turn away. Don't get pulled in to their ungodliness and sin and compromise. Paul warning Timothy and us that there will be this form of godliness, which is interesting, there's going to be this spiritual deception. It is this religiosity with no power. That word power is deutimos. You probably have heard that. Acts chapter 1, that Jesus told the disciples that you are to wait here in Jerusalem for the coming upon of the Holy Spirit. And as the Holy Spirit comes upon you, it will give you the, he will give you the power, the deutimos, to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. The deutimos, the power the Holy Spirit coming upon, not to go out and witness, but to be a witness with your life and with the words that you speak. We know that in Romans chapter 1, that Paul would write the whole theme of the book of Romans, this, this powerful epistle that we have in the New Testament, and he says that I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God to salvation. And then to the Corinthian church, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18, we preach Christ crucified to the Jews a stumbling stone, to the Greeks foolishness, but to those called the power of God for salvation. So Deuteronomy is always associated with regeneration and the power to live for the Lord, to change us, to set us free. There is going to be a godliness in the last days, but it has no power because it's a misdirected love. It's a misdirected love to where the love isn't towards God. The love is towards self. And the, the pursuit and priority is self. So there's no power it's a love of self and not truly of God, and it is a love that is turned inwardly. And there will be that which is, calls itself the church even, but there is no power because there is no gospel. Sin is not defined. There's no mention of repentance and surrender and to deny self and pick up your cross and follow after him. And there are ministries and there are churches today that what they want and, and who they want behind their pulpit is a philosopher. They want a great speaker. 
who says great things, perhaps, that, that tickles their ears, even as Paul said, that in the last days, the time is going to come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itchy ears, their ears are burning, that they will turn away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. They're going to heap up from themselves their own teachers and stuff. And that's what we are seeing more and more. You have those that, that are going to promote social justice, or you get those who want an entertainer or self-promoter. Alan Redpath, I was reading some of his commentary, he said you cannot be a promoter and a prophet. You have to choose one. And what the messages that are very popular today in filling up churches is that you have to look to your potential. You need to believe that this is your year. And you claim this and you claim that, but there's no mention of really turning to the Lord and repenting and being born again. Paul says there's going to be a church that will tell people to stay in their sin and have no change. And he says, there's a form of godliness, but there's no power. The power of the gospel. Oh, just live the way that you want. We're not going to be judgmental. We are only going to preach some of the Bible. But we're not going to preach all of the Bible and declare it. That there needs to be a humility in denying self and a surrender to Christ and admitting that we are sinners to pursue holiness and righteousness. And he goes on and he says, interesting in verse 6, for of this sort are those who creep into households, creepy people, you know, and make captives of gullible women loaded down with sins, led away by various lusts, always learning, never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Now, this has some broad implications. He's not picking on you women. Okay, ladies? At this time, the men would be off working and the, and the women would be at home. He's saying those that are in the home, those that are, are there, that, you know, that they are ones that are led away by various lusts, always learning, never able to come to the knowledge. We see that happen today, big time. Not just the women, but in our workplace, we have it. We have it in our homes. We have it in our hands. The touch of a button that can come into our lives and into our homes. The social media, the internet, the different apps that are out there. I am so fearful for our kids. The stuff that is out there that is accessible to them that they can look at the voices that come into our homes through the computer, the iPads, the TV. It's all around us, the voices that are there. And it's wiping people out. And our kids are discouraged and they are depressed. And they're looking at all this stuff and the, the, you know, things that are there and they can't handle it. We can't handle it as adults. 
We need to remember that the spirit of the last day will be marked by those trying to get into our homes and into our hearts and promote that which is false and evil and dark. And there's many tools today in which to do that that will try to take you captive and our kids captive. And people today in their carnality and their immorality being gullible, you know, really, honestly, this is for all of us. How much time do we spend in the Word of God versus when we get on social media, when we get on the computer, when we're surfing the Internet and all that? That's a challenge not just for you, but for me too, honestly. And we're t taking in all this stuff, and at the end of the day, you're just kind of going, yuck. What did I watch? What did I listen to? What did I set my eyes on? And the message is false, and it's deceptive. Oh, it may be pleasing to the flesh. It may seem like it's cool. This is the latest thing. And they may seem to have an answer to everything, but they're never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. And that's why it's so important that we take heed to what Paul continues to say here. And then in verse 8, now as Janus and Jambres resisted Moses, so do these also resist the truth. Men of corrupt minds disapprove concerning the faith. Who are Janus and Jambres? We don't have a mention in the scripture, but we do have some hints here that you know, are very clear. They resisted Moses. So some of you, a lot of you, you remember the Ten Commandments, Charlton Heston, Yoel Brenner, you know. You remember that scene when Moses first came to Pharaoh, and he said, Thus saith the Lord, let my people go. And your old, you know, your old uh, Brenner, uh, Pharaoh, he says, Janus, Jambres, come out here. So that's who they were, okay, according to the Ten Commandments. <laughs> but they very well could have been the magicians who resisted Moses when he came to them. And Moses, of course, he, he threw down his staff, and it turned into a, a serpent. And Janus, Jabbers, come out here, and they threw down their staffs, and they had their staffs turn into serpents. But Moses' serpent ate their serpents. Moses would turn water into blood. Janus and Jambres, they would find some water that wasn't contaminated, and they would turn it into blood. It was Moses that would then call up the frogs, and the frogs were all over the land, and then Janus and Jambres, they would call up the frogs, and they made things worse. You see, that's what Satan does. When he works, he makes things worse. And we know that it would be that Moses, as he's, Paul's making reference to him. And it would be the next plague that Moses took his staff and he touched the dust of the earth and the lice came up and they said, this is the finger of God. We cannot do this. And we know that Paul is warning against the imitators and counterfeiters. And they withstood the truth that was brought to Pharaoh, and that was what? Let my people go. 
And it is God Almighty that says to the Janus and Jambres today, to this culture and to our generation, this is the message of the Lord. Let my people go. And there are imposters and counterfeits that stand in the way. They are charismatic. They are religious seemingly. And they are standing against the one thing to try to keep you in a self-focused, self-centered, self-love kind of religion to keep you from the cross and to set you free from Egypt and from sin and bondage to set you free so you can have that abundant life that he has for you. They will progress no further, is what Paul says, and neither will you if you buy into that misdirected love to yourself where you prioritize yourself and not the Lord. What he has for you in desiring to take you out of Egypt and the world and a priority and a focus of the world. So here is, is Paul, he continues, what do we do? This is the characteristics, verses 1 through 9. But you have carefully followed my doctrine and manner of life and purpose and faith and long-suffering and love and perseverance and persecution and afflictions, which happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra. What persecutions I endured out of them, all the Lord delivered me. And yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution is what he writes here. He says, Timothy, it's not the first time he said to me, you have carefully followed my doctrine, my manner of life, my purpose, my faith. This was Paul's young protege. He invested in Timothy. He invested in Titus, Epaphroditus, all these guys that are listed in the scriptures. Paul is departures at hand, and he's passing on the baton to Timothy and to these other guys. You follow my manner of life, my doctrine, my example, how I live, my ministry. Whenever that you have somebody mentor you or disciple you, can you look at them and say, I can follow their example? It was Paul that said, imitate me as I imitate Christ. And I think, can I really say that? To the young people that I'm trying to minister today. And as Paul is exhorting Timothy here, he says, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. And as you live godly in the day in which we are living in, that you are going to suffer persecution in some way, in some manner. And we need to get that settled in our hearts. And if we're more fearful of men and of people and what they think of us, then you're going to compromise. But as we live godly, not living in a way of obnoxious, but living in a way where you are standing for righteousness and you are standing for the Lord and you're one that you're living by the power of the Holy Spirit in your life, then you are going to suffer some kind of persecution. And I pray for this as well. That we here at Calvary Chapel, that we would have a desire to invest in those that we have opportunity to 
because what happens with the self-focus and the self-centeredness, it's, it's all about me. We have opportunity to invest in eternal things because all the things of this world is going to go away, but our souls are going to go on. And there is no greater thing, there's no greater in, you know, joy and satisfaction and real purpose to, to invest in others. So Paul talks about that. He says, after those who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution, but evil men and impostors are going to grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. Will you underline that verse? Here's the mark of the last days. Evil men and impostors are going to grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. I think about what our society has become more dark, more evil, more wicked over the last 10 years, over the last five years how that's becoming more prevalent, the darkness and evil imposters. Now, imposter is not always easy to detect, is it? But it's going to grow worse, and it's going to get worse. What we will see Jesus say in all of it discourse, that here's one of the characteristics and one of the signs of my coming is that there will be many false Christs and teachers that will be out there. And they are deceiving and we know that even as Janice and Jambres, that they were ones that they worked line signs and wonders, that there's going to be one that will come on the scene. That Second Thessalonians chapter 2 tells us that he's going to deceive many with line signs and wonders, working powers. Satan is called an angel of light. Listen, a lot of the darkness and deception, you know, is pretty plain out there. But he's a master counterfeiter. He's an angel of light. When the Antichrist comes on the scene, he's not going to be this guy, you know, rubbing his hands, and he's got a hoodie on and horns, you know, and red eyes, and this hideous laugh, and you're going, ooh. The world's going to look at him and say, he's beautiful, and he's wonderful, and he's got the answers. But as the Bible says over and over again, that he's going to be a great orator. He's going to be an economic leader and a military leader and a religious leader and a political leader. It's what the world is going to be looking for. Jesus said, another's going to come and you're going to receive him. And when he said that in John's gospel, many believe that he's talking about that man of sin, this man of perdition. There's going to be a worldwide false church of falling away. This verse right here undermines what is so popular in some circles of Christianity today, new apostolic reformation, and that is the kingdom now. There's nothing new about it, folks. That there's going to be this, this, you know, great apostles and, and super apostles and prophets and going to grow and grow in power, and then the Christians are going to essentially take over the world and then we'll usher in the second coming. Sounds wonderful, but it's not biblical at all. It's going to get worse. It's going to get worse, and you and I need to understand that. Evil men and imposters are going to grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. 
but you must continue, verse 14, in the things which you have learned and been assured of and knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. We're going to talk a little bit more about this when we talk about standing firm uh, as a godly family, but we know that Paul would address Timothy's grandmother Lois and mother Eunice in chapter 1, and I'll read it to you, that... He would say to them that when I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you, Timothy, which first uh, dwelt in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded is also in you. Timothy, I've mentored you. I've taught you. You've followed my manner of life, my doctrine, my example. But Timothy was so blessed that he had a grandmother and a mother that had genuine faith. Now we know from Acts that Paul in his second missionary journey that he would see Timothy, that he had a calling on his life. And so he said, Timothy, come join us on this second missionary journey. And we know Timothy was from Lystra. That's what Paul was talking about. You know the persecutions that I went through at uh, Antioch and, and or um, as he said here, um, Antioch, Iconium, Lystra. He's talking about his first missionary journey. And you might recall in Acts chapter 14, that first missionary journey, that those in Lystra came out and they stoned Paul and left him for dead. And I just wonder, Lois and Eunuch and Timothy would watch that. And I just wonder, as Paul says, you know the persecutions that I went through, that I endured them all. The Lord was with me. Paul would get up from that stoning. I believe that he was dead. He writes in 2 Corinthians that I know a man that went to third heaven. That's a study for another time. But the Lord would bring him back. He would get up and he went back into Lystra. And you think, you know, if it was me, I would have been on the first Greyhound bus out of town is what I would have done. You think, how do you stop a guy like that? But he talks about your grandmother, your mother, Timothy, that taught you the Holy Scriptures. Now, we know that Timothy's mother was Jewish. So as he is growing up, the Old Testament, the Scriptures that Paul is writing about here, you know, his father was Greek. Timothy, we're going to go ahead and circumcise you because when we go to the synagogues, we don't want it to be a stumbling factor for the Jews. And so when it came to Titus, he said, you're not going to touch Titus because both his parents were, were Greeks. But it is Timothy's grandmother and mother that would share with him the scriptures, whisper the scriptures to him. It was his mother, grandmother. They would talk to him about Mount Sinai. His father probably talked to him about Mount Olympus. It was his grandmother and mother that talked to him about the law, the ways of the Lord. It was his father that probably taught him about the philosophy of Greek. It was Lois and Eunuch, his mom and grandmother, that talked to him about the prophets of God. And from his dad, perhaps from the philosophers of Greece. 
Listen, parents, those of you who are here, don't go to sleep. I know it's late. It is so critical in the day in which we're living in that you're investing the word of God in their lives. And that you're being an example, and none of us do it perfectly. You can ask my kids, and they'll be the first to tell you that. But if you're just bringing your kids here, and we got kids that just come and they got all kinds of situations that are going on in their homes, and it's hard and it's difficult, and we're here to pray with you and to encourage you in every way that we can, but you as a parent, you as a grandparent, have opportunity to invest in them and to, get, to leave a legacy. And I pray that your legacy doesn't die when you die, but it continues on with them. And if you do bring them here, wanting them to gain religion, but you are living like the world, you're going to give no hope to your kids. But in the home, to take a stand for Jesus Christ and righteousness, and you're going to be persecuted by the world for doing that, because the world wants something completely different from your kids and from you than what Jesus wants. But we must be ones investing in them and then investing in the kids that are here because we got kids that are coming here that they don't have godly parents. They, they, they don't have that situation. They don't have the godly influence in their home and they get it here. To invest in them, you have opportunity to do that? So that's why I say pray about it. And that's why I take very seriously that I just, the Lord, more and more wanting to invest in these guys that are upstairs that are going to be graduating and, and becoming young adults and the young people here that are in ministry because let me tell you, when I'm in my 80s and I still got breath in me, I'm going to go to them and say, what are you doing to minister to my grandkids? What are you doing to give them the scriptures? Because I'll be just as honoring, probably more honoring I am now. And to carry that baton to the next generation. And when I read that millennials now, only 4% have a biblical worldview, that concerns me. And I think, what is happening? And it's like Paul is saying to us, wake up. Because the message that we are getting from culture and society is this. That you need to think about yourself, you need to pursue everything for yourself. And, you know, you need to, to you know, be doing this and self-focus and all of this. And it's a different message than what the Scripture is telling us. Invest in what is temporary and what makes you happy. And all of these things, I'm all for happiness, but godliness trumps all of that. And are we going to invest in our young people and in our children and the next generation? But parents, we cannot give, and grandparents, a mixed message to our kids. Because they become resentful and angry. And one thing, kids are smart, one thing that they know, and that is phony. They know phony. And again, none of us do this perfectly. 
but to be praying, Lord, help me to be the father, the mother, the grandfather, the grandmother. You have opportunity to invest in them, pour in them the scriptures, pour in them the word of God. Timothy, you must continue in the scriptures that you've learned from childhood for us to pour into these kids and see it as a privilege to be able to do that and to pray for them and to pray with them. And may they see in us a mom, a dad, a grandparent, an uncle, an aunt, whoever you are that loves the Lord. What are you going to pass on to the next generation? What are you going to pass on to the next generation? So here Paul is saying you must continue in the scriptures that you've learned, and we must, in pouring to our kids. And in verse 16, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. I've been mentioning this verse several times in the last few teachings that I've done, but all scripture is given by inspiration of God. Not some of the scripture, but all of it from Genesis to Revelation. And what we're seeing today is we see in the church as a whole a dismissing of all of the scripture and only taking parts of the scripture. All of it is God-breathed, and it is profitable. It is profitable for you and for me, for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, instruction in righteousness, and to equip us so we can live the life that God has called us to be, so we can be the men and women of God that he wants us to be, to be the parents, the grandparents, whoever it is that what state you're in, that you can live a godly life and then be that light to others because there's going to be this deception and evil imposters and darkness and a form of godliness but denying its power. And we need to be equipped for every good work. How's that done? By the scriptures, the scripture, the scripture, and we're going to continue in the scriptures, all of it, to come to Christ for salvation so that we don't have to be given into imposters and make bad choices. God's word is true, and it doesn't change. Man changes, and his philosophy changes, but not God's word. Are you going to trust in the scriptures? You see, we can believe in the inspiration, but do you believe in the sufficiency of the scripture? That God's word is sufficient for you in every area of your life to guide you, to direct you, is the answer for you. The sufficiency of the scripture to equip you for the work and then have the power as you surrender to him, the power of the Holy Spirit, to live that life that he wants you to live. This is God-breathed, and that's what we're going to continue to do. Listen, be in the scriptures, read your Bible every single day, and then share it with whoever you have opportunity to, your kids, your grandkids, your nephews and nieces, whoever it might be. And you be equipped. Listen, it's perilous times, folks perplexity of nations i'll tell you this if there was missiles that were flying if we wake up you know who people are going to be going to it's not going to be going to the hare krishnas and they're not going to be running to the buddhist they're going to be coming to you they're going to be coming to you who knows the scripture and they're going to say what does god have to say 
And even as we talk about the finger of God, as there was Moses touched the, the dust and I came the lice, and Janice and Jamboree said, we cannot do this. This is God here. I can't help but think, and then we're going to end here, another time, the finger of God, and that is in Daniel chapter 5, Belshazzar, as he's having the toast of Babylon to all his lords and toasting to the gods of Babylon, and all of a sudden, the hand of God writes on the wall behind him, meeny, meeny, tekel, you farson, and he freaks out, and he knocks his knees together, and he's very much afraid, and he's calling for his magicians, he's calling for his, you know, philosophers, he's calling for the, the, the Chaldeans, all these guys in occultic kinds of practices. What does it say there? We don't know what it says. And all of a sudden, somebody says, the queen mother says, you know, there's this man, Daniel. And he speaks truth. He's been put away for about 20 years. We don't know what Daniel was doing by the time Nebuchadnezzar died till Belshazzar when he came on the throne. But he, he can interpret it because he does that. And here comes Daniel, an elderly man. I just picture him. He comes limping out. And Belshazzar says, what does it say? And he says, here's a handwriting on the wall. Meeny, meeny, tekel, your farces. You've been weighed in the balances. You've been found wanting. You're a lightweight, Belshazzar, and you're going to get killed tonight. And your kingdom's going to be replaced by the Medes and the Persians. You know who people are going to go to? They're going to go to you. And it may not be tomorrow or the next day, but you be ready like Daniel was because he continued in prayer and he continued in the word of God. And then when they're all wondering what is happening to this world, you can tell them the writing on the wall because we have the finger of God that have written this word given to us from Genesis to Revelation. Get grounded in the word of God. Give it to your family. Give it to your kids. Share it with others because they need it. They don't need a bunch of fluff and deception, and feel-good stuff. They need truth, and they need God's love. And you have the opportunity to say, this is the handwriting on the wall. The Lord loves you. He's calling you to repent, turn to Him, surrender your life to Him, be free from Egypt, and know that He's coming back. So, Father, we thank You. There's, there's so much more that we could talk about and continue to, but, Lord, I thank You for this lesson that we've had. I thank you that we're going to continue to talk about these things. And Lord, it is perilous times. We are seeing it more and more. Even in the, the 25 years that I've been ministering, I think how different it is, our society and our culture. And Lord, we don't want to go to sleep. We need to wake up. And we need your help to be focused on you and surrendered to you and relying on you. And I pray for us. I pray, Lord, that first of all, that if there's anyone here that you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, that he came to die for your sins. And it is not a church that's going to save you or listening to a Bible study. It is you coming to Jesus, your salvation, and admitting that you're a sinner that needs to repent and turn to him. And to call out to him for forgiveness. 
to be your personal Lord and Savior because he loves you so much and he wants to free you from Egypt, from the world, and bring you into the kingdom of God. It comes by faith, not by your own doing. And you can do that right now. You can call out and, and say, Jesus, from my heart, I believe in you tonight that you died for my sins, for me a sinner, and I come and I know I need forgiveness. Forgive me. You died on the cross for me, and I thank you, and you rose again in your life, and you're speaking to me, and, and Lord, I surrender my life to you. Be my personal Lord and Savior. I want to be freed from the world. I want to be a part of your kingdom and have right relationship with the Father that only comes through you. I want to know you and walk with you. Thank you for hearing my prayer and for this new beginning. In Jesus' name. For you that are here, that you've gotten caught up in all this self-focus and what's in it for me and I'm going to live for myself, the distractions, the cares of the world, the pleasures of the world, any of that stuff. The Lord brought you here because he wants you to turn your heart and mind on him. To be surrendered in your life. And Lord, we know that none of us do that in a perfect way, but Lord, you desire to do a work in helping us to live that surrendered life to you and to believe in the word of God and to be set free. Maybe you're here and you're struggling in some kind of carnality or sin. You know God's been dealing with you. Give it to him right now. Go to him. Maybe it's anger. Maybe it's lust. Maybe it's whatever it is. the words that you speak, the things that you're watching, selfishness, sexual sin. The Lord loves you, but he's calling you to repent because he wants to set you free from those things that will hurt you and harm you and will hurt the people around you. It's a loving father that says, don't pursue sin, continue in it. And he wants to give you the power to be set free. You ask for help right now. Lord, give me the power. Help me. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Help me to be free. For you who have the opportunity to influence others, whether it's at work or the younger generation, your kids, your grandkids, nieces, Lord, nephews, the classroom, as you coach, whatever the case may be, that you would be a godly example because they're watching us. Lord, help us to do that and to mentor those in truth and love. So, Father, I thank you for tonight how we need you desperately and being guided by the word of God in our hearts every single day. May we not get sloppy and lazy but continue in the scriptures to pour into our children 
we can pour in so many other things and voices and that useless babbling and vain things. Lord, we want to put those things aside and pour in godly things. And I pray for our children that there's an assault on them. And Lord, there is an attack on them and on our families. Help us to stand firm in these last days and to be strong and courageous for them because we know that we will suffer persecution. But Lord, help us and guide us, strengthen us. Take everyone home here tonight. I pray that we would continue on, not leaving condemned, but Lord, convicted for all of us. And Lord, knowing that you desire to just do a marvelous work in our hearts and showing yourself strong on our behalf. So Lord, bless everyone here now. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Why don't you guys stand? Listen, I'm going to hang out.